Indeed, there are more questions than answers. Like if an African elephant comes to America, is it an African American elephant? Hi America, hello world. <laughs> My name is Adrian Lee and I am your host. Welcome to the show More Questions Than Answers, the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio entertainment and enlightenment we will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious strange supernatural unusual bizarre and just plain weird if you have just tuned in especially to hear the show then i admire your taste if you have just tuned in by accident then i admire your luck i am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the midwest plains with the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly from the room next door. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your light and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting and for making me laugh or shiver in horror. Extra points will be available for shock and awe value. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and retrobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of that would be... The panel have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show and we are completely live and unedited. What could possibly go wrong? So without any further ado, let us embrace the week's darkness. Let me start by introducing tonight's guest panel. Firstly, the mysterious and nethervescent Heather Morris. She has been a paranormal investigator for many years, with her own team called Hellhound Investigations, and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now one of the leading audio and EVP experts with the International Paranormal Society and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather realised this week that if crime does not pay, then what we are doing here tonight is crime. And I've heard Heather jokes and I would agree with her. <laughs> Welcome to tonight's show, Heather. Seems like only yesterday. Doesn't it just that? I thought <laughs> this week's just whiz by. It's ridiculous. I don't know. My life is slipping like grains of sand through my very fingers. We also have with us the analytical and sceptical mind of Kim Gore. Kim is also a talented and valued member of the International Paranormal Society. Kim got no sleep this week wondering if blind people can actually see their dreams. Welcome to the show, Kim. Hello. That is a very interesting question, though, isn't it? If you've been blind from birth and you've got no perception of what you're seeing around you, um, you know, do you actually see your dreams? Do blind people see their dreams? Why not? I don't know. What I if would you... think that would be based on whether they were born blind or whether they actually had any memories of seeing that they would yeah. have that. Yeah, I and mean, if you have a dream about a dog, you'd have to see a dog to be able to dream about what you see as a dog. I mean, you can dream about the smell of a dog, the feel of a dog, the noise a dog makes, but ultimately you can't dream about seeing a dog if you've never seen a dog. There are indeed... Whatever images they would have in their mind based on feeling that dog. There you go. I would think they still dream. And they can see stuff in their dream. Do you yeah. think so? But yeah. if you've never seen anything, how do you know what a dog looks like to dream about it? I would, your mind just puts a picture there. If you tell me a story and you're describing something, my imagination will come up with a picture and that picture could potentially be in my dream someday. Yes, but if you've never seen that picture, how can you bring it up? How can you put it in your file that says dog and bring it forth when you need a dog in your it dream? It will be their perception of what they think a dog is at that point. Which is what I said 10 minutes ago. Yes. You're on minus points. What? Minus one. I've just wasted <laughs> yes, a minute of my... I've wasted. I am going to ask a blind person, can you see something you in your head? Ask for a date while you're there. I've... <laughs> 
I've wasted a minute of my life explaining to you what I thought happens, and then you actually explain it back to me in slightly different words. Exactly the same thing. Yes. Perfect. Well, I'm glad we got out of the way. (laughs) Finally, on tonight's show, I wish to induce the calm and unflappable Greg Gore. He is married to Kim, and we shall see if this is still the case after tonight's show. Greg is a paranormal investigator and tech expert. He owns and operates more cameras and leads than the BBC Outside Broadcast Department. He is also our sound engineer and producer. Greg has been angry all week, wondering why man-eating sharks won't eat women. Welcome to the show, Greg. (laughs) Hello. We are on show number four. This is our second series. They gave us a second series. Who knew? And this is show four. Did you know in Chinese, Korean and Japanese culture, superstition says that the number four is a homonym for death in their language, which is why so many people die on golf courses, of course. Do you know what a homonym is? Points to be going here, begging. I think it's a small monkey that's a bit like a human. (laughs) <laughs> there are four <laughs> there are four rocky solid planets followed by four gas giant planets of course so after solids comes giant gas in astrology cancer is the fourth astrological sign of the zodiac and if you are married to a cancer then you have my deepest sympathies of course because they are the donkey eel in the winnie the pooh series oh woe is me so if anyone knows that as a cancer unfortunately you are eel you're calling everybody that's a cancer. Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Yes, that's the one twelfth of the entire world's population is Eeyore. One twelfth potentially of our listeners. Yes. You've just called Eeyore. Yes, but they're cancers, so I'm not bothered whether they listen or not. That's no problem at all. <laughs> Apparently they're not bothered either. <laughs> they won't be listening because they'll be moaning about things. They'll be busy, too busy moaning about their life and the things that are going wrong to tune in to listen. I'm Tigger, of course, because I'm Aries. See how that works. We could give a sign. I mean, the two Libras. Each one of the the two Libras. Yeah, we've got the two Libras here, which is the wise owl, whose name escapes me. There is an owl, isn't there, Winnie the Pooh? So they'd be the whale. The the whale. They'd be. It's only because I heard the noise of a whale in my headphones. They would be the owl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Someone's stomach. That would be the owl. What would you be? What have you got left there? This piglet, Christopher Robin. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> let's move swiftly on, shall we? Our first round. Um, we did an investigation recently. I just want to talk about that before we start. We went to Long Prairie, which is in the middle, literally in the middle of Minnesota. It's a small town, Long Prairie. They're very famous there for having the Christie House, which we've investigated many times. It's very haunted, one of the most haunted buildings I've been in in the whole of the Midwest. But we were there recently. We did an investigation at the bank. It was an abandoned bank was built at the turn of the last century back in the 1880s 1890s and we also investigated on the same night the abandoned opera house everything's abandoned isn't it it's fabulous so this was an opera house was also at one point a morgue and an undertaker so we did an investigation of abandoned opera house stroke mortuary i guess is where we are but i'm just going to go around the room briefly and uh, ask people for their experiences of that investigation anything they thought was fun now you got some fabulous evps that hopefully we'll be able to play on air over the next couple of uh, episodes heather but just give us a flavor of of what you got there and what you what you managed to capture as an evp um well actually i just ran through some of the evidence in the bank and noticed that there were several voices whispering to me as i'm walking around on my own and i played some of those for greg and hopefully we can get those uploaded at some point but there was nothing evil or maniacal at either one of the places. They were both just genuinely fun to yeah, be in. Yes, people that work there and live there, ultimately. One of the things I do remember particularly well is when we were in the opera house slash uh, abandoned morgue slash... <laughs> um, Antique shop. Antique shop slash ceramic shop. <laughs> there was a lot of <laughs> slashing going on, wasn't there? <laughs> there was. I, I noticed that they had an elevator. Now, I bring this up simply because the elevator was very small. And one of your comments was, I wonder if that's the elevator they use to transport the bodies. Now, this... Well, let me undertake... Let me go back a step. (laughs) Every undertaker's and every mortuary and every kind of funeral director's building I've been in that's from the Victorian period in the Midwest has had an elevator because they have to lift the bodies and the coffins and all the wood and everything up and down the stairs so that is a common occurrence 
uh, in Osakis, for example, I've been into an antique shop there that used to be an antique. You're undertakers. just trying to justify your what you said. Yes, my idiocy does come from a place of factual awareness. Yes, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you would happen to see the size of this elevator, we all had a bit of a chuckle because the only way a dead body was getting on that thing is if it was propped standing up. <laughs> midgets, midgets die too. Midgets have to die. What's wrong with you? I do have to say one other thing. Oh, so the, highlight of, the highlight of investigating a Victorian abandoned bank, an opera house and a mortuary, was uh, making fun of me for thinking that midgets don't die and have to go up in elevators. <laughs> That's right. Well, that and the fact that we had... Actually, Greg, you caught an incredible EBP that uh, I will let you talk about. But I was just going to say, we're very hardy people, apparently, and I still came away hi- hating you just slightly because we investigated in... 30 below weather with no heat in either building. You're, well, you were born in Minnesota. You're a Minnesotan girl. You should be used to this weather. I come from the, <laughs> the rainy but temperate British Isles and uh, minus 30 is cold. But I wore appropriate clothing. Whatever. See how that works. Yeah, that's uh-huh. what there is no appropriate clothing for 30 below. It was a very cold investigation to the point where I'm making notes on my pad during an investigation and the ink in my pen froze. <laughs> so that was very I'm true. Clawing. Batteries dying everywhere. We had to, it was very primitive. It was a primitive investigation. It was unplugged say. and unleaded. We, we couldn't right. rely on any of our equipment. It was back no. to the good old days of sitting in the dark with a pen and a notepad using your ears and your eyes. That's right. Nothing wrong with that. That's all very good. Kim, what was the highlight for you? You joined us in the bank. <laughs> the walkthrough at the bank, I um, I had the K2, and I have never seen that K2 spike like that. If there were more lights on the K2, they would have been lit. It was the brightest red I have ever seen, and it was very sporadic as far as uh, as I would walk through the room. Um, my K2 would be going up to the end, and... I would go back to the first spot where it had done it and it wouldn't be there anymore. It was as if something was following around that I was catching. It was very transient. We were in the basement of this disused bank, which is used as a vault. There's a safe down there, of course. And uh, you're absolutely right. This K2 meter, which measures the amount of electrical magnetic field energy in the air, was just going nuts to the point where I've never seen it stay in the red um, for such a prolonged period of time with such a with such a heavy signal. And we did use a millimetre as well because a K2 metre is a handheld field tour and it's not that accurate. So we did take a millimetre in there and got the same high readings on that. So there was a lot of strange energy down there and we got photographs of that. If people befriend me on Facebook, um, our Facebook website or our Facebook site is more questions than answers with Adrian Lee. But if you find me on there as Adrian Lee and befriend me, um, I have photographs of this investigation, and you'll see the K2 meters and uh, the buildings that we investigated. Greg, what did you have? What was your highlight of the event? Well, I was videotaping while they were using the K2. Scott brought his over, too, so we had two of them going. And while I was visiting or videotaping, both of them stopped at the same time and had both of them in, in focus. And it's just weird how it would come and go like you talked about. Yeah, our equipment would just suddenly stop. And then we'll just suddenly start again for no reason. But you did get some EV. Talk about the EVPs that you did get rather than making fun of me for thinking midgets were dying in the Midwest and didn't have <laughs> proper facilities. Well, you, you had um, an EVP of a, of a very ghostly, spooky voice saying, uh, I'm here against the wall when we were looking for. Actually, yeah, I, I, I tend to take a, a DVR and walk around by myself while everybody else gets the grand tour. And um, as they were in another part of the building, in fact, it was the area, come to find out, where you guys had got your K2 spikes. But there was a very ghostly whisper that said, I'm here against this wall or against the wall. And uh, hopefully we can get that uploaded. Now, that being said, when we actually had our our, um, vigil in the basement and I was sitting in there, I had a name come to me, and I completely forgot about this actually. Um, and the this name is was psychically, yeah. And yes. the name was Henry Cole. Now that being said, too, 
in between our two vigils, we did some just some preliminary research and found out that Henry Cole actually existed. Yes, preliminary research in between vigils is getting on your phone and seeing if the name comes up on a Google search. And he did yes, exist he and was, he did live there. Yes, he was this guy Henry Cole was part of the census for Long Prairie and he did exist. He was during a that person time frame. living in this small town during that time frame. So that was quite remarkable. The thing that interested me, again psychically, we were in the basement of the bank is that I saw a spirit enter the basement through the wall and uh, this gentleman looked like um, a worker that had an apron on and uh, back in the old days in the Victorian period you had long sleeves and then you'd have bands up your arms to stop your sleeves from getting in the work I don't know what the technical name for those are like some sort of uh, suspender you know to keep your to keep your sleeves up ultimately and uh, I couldn't work out I didn't get the impression he worked in the bank and he wasn't wearing the kind of clothes that you'd associate with a bank worker. And I said to Lorna, who's the local historian and uh, a member of our team, I said to her, I don't understand why he's down here looking like that. I said, if I had to take a guess, I'd say he looked like a printer and he's just come from the basement next door to look at what we're doing. And then she informed me that the local newspaper back in the 1880s, 1890s, I think it was the Gazette, if my memory serves me right, I've probably got that wrong. Um, was actually printed in the building next door where he came from. And I didn't know that information. So we've got a lot to work with there. And over the next few weeks, hopefully we'll place some of those EVPs. And if you go to my Facebook site, my own personal one, Adrian Lee, you'll find photographs of that particular investigation. And I took some great photographs of black and white disused opera house and the bank and so forth. They're all on there for everyone to see. So we will run and sprint out of the cold with our K2 meter in our hand to the first round that is Ghosts and Horses. Hauntings. I've got a story here that says spooky video captures toddler being dragged to the ground by a mysterious force. This is the chilling moment a toddler was filmed being knocked to the ground by an apparent paranormal force. Little Lexi Hood was playing peekaboo with her dad Gareth, 35, and mum Charlene, 31, when she was suddenly dragged backwards by her shoulders. While some cynics may scoff, claiming the child simply fell over, the eerie footage shows the one-year-old standing perfectly steady on her feet, peeking out from behind her hands, before mysteriously shooting backwards across the floor. It's very interesting for me that she was playing this game of peekaboo where you look through your hands as a kid, and then she looks like she gets rushed by a ghost, which makes me think the ghost or the spirit was actually playing the game as well, where it went up to her, and then that force literally knocked her over. Her family said the tot yelled out down after the strange event, and at their home in Bridgend in Wales, it's been plagued apparently with strange creaking noises and sounds ever since the incident. Proof if needed that the event was otherworldly in nature my knees make a lot of strange creaking sounds i wonder if they're haunted too (laughs) dad of three gareth said lexi is very sturdy on her feet and is often very confident in walking and she's a happy fun baby we were watching tv and there was no way she could go back like that she just went shooting back her arms went out to her side and she went back as if she was pushed or pulled to the ground when we looked at the film it really freaked us out it doesn't look like she was just falling over and if people want to see that video they're more than welcome to do so if they go to uh, my facebook site more questions than answers with adrian lee you will see all of tonight's stories and all of the videos and all of the photographs little lexi was totally unharmed in the incident if you're interested in that but it did shake the family up credit collector gareth said when you hear creaks at the house and it's settling down we're now thinking about it more and we're now looking at everything twice we can't walk past an empty room without taking a look in now they do say that if you see one ghost you'll then see others in the same way they say if you see a ufo for the first time you'll then see lots more after that because you're then looking for it or your brain has suddenly realized and perceived you know that particular occurrence and now has that filed and something to work with and they say that once you see your first ufo you'll see lots more and i believe that can be applied to ghosts as well but if there's anyone around this table actually seen that footage no You see the girl and she's standing there and suddenly, you know, she sort of flies backwards like toddlers do to a degree. What I will say is that one of the members on my team that I trust implicitly, he's a team leader, Scott, um, up there in Wisconsin in Superior. He saw that footage and he's got um, kids of his own and he said he thought that that looked very paranormal in nature. So uh, our team leader that I trust implicitly has seen that footage 
and uh, relayed that information to me. But if you'd like to see that for yourself, as I said, you're more than welcome to find that on our Facebook site. And perhaps you could write to me at MQTA or comment on Facebook and let me know what you think. I should give myself two points for opening the show (laughs) in such a splendid manner. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Ghosts and Hauntings? Mummy found inside bronze statue, which was in the shape of a Buddha. You have a lot of Buddha stories recently, don't you? Yeah, I do. Are you walking towards a more Buddhist lifestyle, that nice straight line rather than the roller coaster that is living in America? That nice straight, (laughs) no drama line there? I wish. I wish. That's up to other people, isn't it, in terms of the kind of drama you have to deal with. It's not not what you create yourself, it's what other people give you to a degree. A bronze statue dating back up to a thousand years has been found to contain the remains of a Buddhist monk. While it might not appear particularly remarkable on the outside, the statue, which is coated in bronze, actually houses the mummified remains of a monk sitting in the lotus position. Now, didn't I do a story uh, two episodes two episodes ago? ago? I think it was episode two. Which is, it was actually a petrified monk? Yes, something he was, like uh, that? he'd sat in the same position for three or four weeks and then he'd right. mummified himself and they said he wasn't dead. He, he just, just moved on to the next stage or something right. like that, right? if you threw a glass of water over him, he'd rehydrate, dust himself oh, off and go back home. Here we go with a loot fisk. There we go. That's what we discussed. This is what we discussed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We compared a thousand-year-old <laughs> monk striving for nirvana <laughs> to a Scandinavian fish dish. This is, this is true. Uh, to learn more about this unique discovery, researchers at the Meander Medical Center in Meander. The, in the Netherlands. They don't bother running to the patient. They just slowly walk up to them. It could be Meander, <laughs> but I'm pronouncing it Meander. You mean your Dutch isn't up to it? Yeah, I know. Isn't it amazing? The word ambulance actually comes from the word to walk because it comes from amble. So an ambulance means to walk, and it came from the First World War where the stretcher bearers had to walk into no man's land to go and get the bodies. Oh. So I'd share it because you'd think ambulance would mean run or fast, wouldn't you, or quickly? And it's the opposite. It means kind of slow and plodding. You like can't this, say quickly, Lince. Like this story, a faster Lince. <laughs> <laughs> quick, the faster Lince is coming. Um, they uh, recently conducted a series of tests on the statue using a CT scanner to peer beneath its outer layers and examine the remains inside. Their findings revealed that the mummy's internal organs had been removed and that rolled up scraps of paper containing ancient Chinese characters had been placed inside. They were Christmas cracker jokes. He just had them with him. You have to be oh. British to know what that's even about. Yeah, I have no clue. No. Um the statue, which will be on display at the Natural History, History Museum in Hungary until May 2015, so hurry up, is believed to contain the remains of a Buddhist master, Lai Quin, of the Chinese Meditation School. It has been speculated that Lai Quin practiced the now-banned practice of self-mummification, which would be, or which would have involved him slowly starving himself to death over an extended period of time. Isn't it interesting? This this is a bronze statue. Yeah. So, okay, you can sit there and mummify yourself. I mean, I can just sit in the same spot for three weeks and, and then just waste away, in theory, which is what they're doing. How does one get a bronze put around them? How does the bronze... I've seen the x-ray of this particular statue, and it looks like a bronze statue with the bones inside it right. perfectly situated where they would be as if you'd just covered the person in some bronze. How would you be able to remain sitting if you're gradually starving yourself to death? I think it's that process of meditating where all external forces just disappear and you sit there in a state of meditation and just slowly wither away, isn't it? Is what I'm assuming happens in the Buddhist culture if you're doing this. They say that if you can meditate like that for three weeks, you gain nirvana. So the Buddhist monks would sit there in the lotus position, cross-legged, named, of course, because they did that under the lotus tree, the Buddha originally, to gain enlightenment. And, you know, he's just withered away and, and died ultimately, he sat there and died. But I yes. don't understand. I, I get that part. But I don't understand how he then becomes a statue. Why did he get bronze and not the other guy in our story? But if you pour molten bronze over a body, it's just going to vaporize and disappear, isn't You'd it? You'd think. So I'm not sure. Was the statue made and he was pushed inside? There are more questions than answers. I shall give you two points for that. And seeing you as on minus one, you now go to a positive Yay. integer of one. Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Ghosts and Hauntings? Ghost Adventures, Zach Baggins, snatches pot the real psycho used to collect body parts. The real psycho. 
Yes, I'm the guessing movie. the movie. So this yes. was based on a real person. Yep. Okay. Uh, Zach Baggins just scored a disgusting and evil souvenir used by the real-life killer who became the inspiration for Psycho and a bunch of other Hollywood serial killers. Ed Gain was a Wisconsin man who infamously mutilated his victims' body parts in the 1950s and fashioned their skin into tiny masks, gloves, and furniture. If it sounds familiar, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs, and Norman Bates were all based on Gain. So, Baggins just dropped $2,800 at auction to take possession of the 25-gallon cauldron Gain used to discard his victims' entrails when he gutted them. Why would you want that? I mean, I mean... <sighs> oh, I'll tell you. He gives okay. a reason. All right. Okay. I'll be interested to know. Uh, the thing had been sitting in a Wisconsin woman's home used as a flower pot ever since Gain's 1984 <sighs> death in prison. When she died, her son believed the cauldron was cursed and wanted it gone. So now it's Baggins' headache. Zach, who collects haunted and cursed objects, tells us it's going on display at his home because he thinks it will make a nice conversation piece for guests. That's a little odd, isn't it? I mean, yes. we, we don't know necessarily how true that story is because everything we read in the media, of course, is hyperbole in many respects. But why, why would you want something like that? It doesn't strike me as something you'd... I understand that he's into ghosts and hauntings, but now he's buying like macabre objects... It seems very strange. There's a fine line between being into hauntings and paranormal activity and buying the personal possessions of serial killers. Or am I, I just... I, I agree. It's very strange, you know, especially if there's nothing attached to it and there's nothing, you know, in terms of any uh, ghosts or any energy that associate themselves with that. It seems very odd to me. You would think it would have a lot of negative energy anyway just because of all the evil things that were put into it and not necessarily the things that put in it but the stuff if it was in his house can you oh, imagine how dark absorbed certainly yeah yeah into i mean those you, you probably need to cut the uh, the air with a knife to get into that i believe the house has been perhaps destroyed now in my thinking but um wisconsin again isn't it they're always in wisconsin yeah. isn't it this who was the other guy that was in wisconsin Dahmer. yeah there's a it gets very lonely isn't it they make cheese and there's just not much there really i guess there's lots yeah. for the mind to do the devil makes Work for idle Doesn't hands. Scott live in Wisconsin? He does. I sure. I think the actors from the movie Fargo were actually from Wisconsin. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know we're going to get into a lot of trouble, and no listeners are going to be local anymore. We'll have everyone. Just it was listening. nice having you on the team, Scott. Yes. <laughs> to be fair to Scott, I mean, he literally is just in Wisconsin. I mean, he's he's on he's in Superior, which is the other side of Duluth, and there's just a bridge between them. So he's literally just creeping in there, but. Uh, Guilty by association, I guess. <laughs> I have a story here that says coffin for UK's tallest man to measure eight foot and requires ten pallbearers. A bespoke coffin for the funeral of a former UK tallest man has been made measuring a whopping eight feet long. Christopher Greener, who grew up a whopping seven foot six inches before surgical intervention stopped him growing, will be laid to rest in a casket carried by 10 pallbearers. Funeral directors have calculated that 30 stone, Christopher's coffin, will just about squeeze into the hearse before he will be buried in a double-sized plot of land on Monday. I was wondering if they'd need a double-sized plot for someone that's eight foot coffin is in that length. I mean, you can't just use one plot. If you didn't know he'd died there, you could walk past and think they'd buried a python. Do you see what I'm saying? Or a giraffe or something tall. The poor guy has got to dig that. Unbelievable. Gentle giant Christopher, who held the record for being the UK's tallest man for more than four decades, died recently at age 71 and will be buried near his home in Bromley, southeast London. We measured everything before we ordered the coffin. It just about fits the hearse by two inches, said the funeral director. Imagine if he didn't fit in the end and you've actually got to use Cut bungee cords. Cut him off cords. at the knees. Make he, him fit. This guy, Mr. Green, did actually say when he was alive... Um, that they could break his legs to make him fit in a coffin. He did actually Are you say serious? That. Yeah, he said it humorously. I mean, but that, that hasn't happened. But he did actually suggest that when he was alive, believe it or not. Christopher's coffin also has extra handles, so 10 pallbearers can carry him the rather than the usual four, apparently. I didn't realise it was four. I thought there was always six. One on each corner and one in the middle. Was there four? I don't know. I have no idea. I'll have to look into that more carefully. He was diagnosed at 27 with a condition known as pituitary gigantism, where a tumour had grown on his pituitary glands, an organ that controls bodily functions, including the release of growth hormones. Surgeons removed the tumour when he was already in the record books for being the UK's tallest man 
and he would have continued to grow if they had not. He played basketball internationally for Great Britain in the late 60s and the early 70s, and he played the circus giant in David Lynch's film The Elephant Man, if anyone remembers that. Now, the question is, if you're haunted by Mr Green, the tallest man in Britain until last week, wouldn't it be interesting, if he's the tallest man and he's haunting you and you're lying in bed, would you only just see the ghost up to his shoulders as his head disappears above the ceiling? Do you see what I'm saying? Now, it'd be scary to see a ghost of the tallest man walk into your bedroom and just see his shoulders disappearing into the ceiling. Would it not be more scary for the person living on the floor above who just sees a head going across the floor as he's walking around <laughs> down below? Do you see what I'm saying? Who's got it worst? You do, because you said your ceilings are very low over there. They do tend to be lower in Britain, but the guy's seven foot six inches tall. I'm saying that not all of his body is going to fit in the room. Would not some of his head be sticking through the floor and haunting the guy in the room upstairs? Now I have a question, since you posed one. If he were seen in the afterlife, would he be considered something like a slender man then? Because he's that tall? That's interesting, isn't it? The, the Slender Man. I know the Slender Man was a mythical um, person that was made up online and it's now you know, manifested into something bigger than that. But it's very interesting. They have a show on the television on one of the history channels about looking for giants, don't they? Yeah. But if you're haunted by a giant, you could then suggest that's a Slender Man, couldn't right. you? If you're haunted by someone who's seven foot, six foot, sorry, seven foot, six inches or eight inches tall, you could, in theory, make that conclusion, couldn't you? Right. Which would then have some grounds for that to exist, I suggest. Right. Excellent. Well, thank you for pointing that out. I should give myself five points. I'm now on... (laughs) (laughs) I'm now on a resplendent four. (laughs) I love this show. We're going to move into the round that is UFOs and cryptozoology. It is the round with hairy men and green beasties. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the round of cryptozoology and UFOs? Yuck. Yuck. Is that in... Iran somewhere, the town of Yuck? Yes, Yucatan. Yucatan. (laughs) What's this tiny, mysterious sea creature found in a can of tuna fish? Oh, no. Have you seen this online? Have you? No. Yes, this is Have you? I have seen it. I spend all my days online looking Looking at tuna fish. Looking at tuna fish. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I mean, I I would go with a salmon, but I'd be thinking of the tuna. Excellent. (laughs) Zoe Butler was more than disturbed when she opened a can of tuna to find a tiny little sea creature staring back at her. According to Butler, she opened the top of the lid and noticed an ugly, purpley thing, which after pushing around with a fork, saw it looking back at her. Ever had an ugly purple thing looking up at you, Greg, that you've pushed around with a fork? No, I haven't. (laughs) One point for Greg. (laughs) I dropped the fork, jumped back, screamed a bit, and shouted for my nanny to come and have a look. Nanny, nanny, there's something in my tuna. Okay, just me then. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds very Jeeves and Worcester, doesn't it? Uh, Nobody is quite sure what the bug-eyed creature is, but suggestions include the fetus of a blowfish. (laughs) Can you be more specific? (laughs) A tadpole. Hang on a second. Fish don't have fetuses. They lay eggs. I'm reading the story. I didn't make it up. (laughs) A juvenile crab. What's that called? A juvenile, Colin. Colin the crab. <laughs> we knew it was a juvenile crab because he had a flick oh, knife and tattoos. Don't say anything on this one. The head of a soft-shelled turtle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the head of a tongue-eating louse. You need to be more specific. This I, know. I need more detail. And that's actually a parasite that lives inside fish, entering through the gills and attaching itself to the unsuspecting host's tongue, just so you know. What's red and hard? A crab with a switchblade. What? Carry on. Uh, Butler has contacted (laughs) Princes, the packager of the tuna product, and is awaiting a reply. I haven't shown it to the kids because they might not get or they might get put off eating tuna. I did have. I did. Did you see this? I. It's gross. What did you think it looked like? It looked two little black eyes staring back at you. Is what it looked like. It looked to me. I'm no expert on uh, marine biology. But in my limited knowledge, it looked at first glance like what I would call a blenny, which is a mud skipper, which have two little goggly eyes and they jump from rock pool to rock pool across the mud when the tide goes out. It is disgusting and disturbing, I must add. What did it taste like? 
cryptozoology. You shall have... I didn't eat it. No, you didn't. You shall have points. I shall give you two for that. You're now on three, which is the most points you've ever had in this whole of the series two. Did you know that? I know we're only halfway through the show. Kim, what have you got for me tonight in terms of purple bug-eyed tuna-eating monsters? Hundreds of fairy doors have appeared in woods and nobody knows who put them there. That's fun. (laughs) So many fairy doors have been found that fairy control measures have been introduced by the woodland trustees to stop even more being built. Hundreds of fairy doors have appeared in the bases of trees and woodland, leaving local people baffled. So many doors have been found in Wayford Woods, Crewkern, Somerset, that fairy control measures have been introduced. The first fairy door appeared around the year 2000 and was traditionally crafted with a working handle, hinges, and a little bed behind it. So they hollow, they put it into a hollow of a tree, so there is behind yes. the door an inlet that you can put furniture and things in. Yep. Well, that's fun. Uh, Steve Ackerman of Wayford Woods Charitable Trust said, We didn't know who had done it, but we left it there. But then another door appeared, and now it's gathered momentum. The problem being is they are now at like 200 doors. Really? And not all of them are appealing. Oh. <laughs> um, Some of them are rude, are they? There is, let's see. I'm trying to remember how many acres this park is. It's 19 acres. And they wanted people to stay on the paths. And people are now going off the paths and looking for them and trampling wildflowers and killing yes. mushrooms. Yes. So, But if you go online and look, some of these doors are really cute in my opinion. So perhaps if we can get that on our Facebook site, more questions and answers with Adrian Lee, we'll be able yes. to have that up there and people can look at them. And I'm going to correct myself. It wasn't 19 acres. It's 29 acres. 29 acres. Yes. The interesting thing is I looked at those um, images and we go to the uh, Renaissance Festival, the Renfest, just outside of the Twin Cities here in uh, Minnesota. And they actually have a section that you can walk through. You're going to have to tell me the name of it. What's it called? Fairy Fairy Hollow, I think. Fairy Hollow. Hollow. So you can go into this little area called Fairy Hollow and you walk around the woods back there and they have people dressed up as fairies playing musical instruments and uh, mincing around. And uh, they have little doors like that, don't they? The first yes. first time I saw that image, I thought, you know, this week, that that reminded me of the Renfest, because you can go there to the fairy section and open those little doors and so see So now those. here's the big question, though. Do fairies exist? Are fairies putting the fairy doors there, or are people? Well, on the back of the fact that fairies don't exist, I would suggest <laughs> people are putting them there. But then I'm a cynic. You know, what do I know? There we go. Fabulous. You shall have points. You are now... On four, I shall give you two points for that. I'm going to have a UFO story because this is the round of cryptozoology and UFOs. Purple seems to be the colour of the night. Did you notice that? It says, watch purple UFO caught on camera by stunned TV crew. This is the stunning moment locals stood in awe as a purple-coloured alien-styled aircraft was seen hovering above them. A stunned TV crew captured the footage in Lima, Peru, with authorities unable to explain the mysterious object. An episode of Peruvian show Alto Al Cremin was being filmed in the Miraflores district of Lima at the time, with Congressman Renzo Rigado being interviewed. Production was abruptly, however, halted when the crew saw the UFO in the sky. Eyewitnesses claimed the object was in the sky for at least two hours. No footage has emerged, however, of the UFO leaving. So if people want to go to our website, they're welcome to see this UFO, purple in colour, hovering above the skies of Lima in Peru. If you go to more questions and answers with Adrian Lee on Facebook, you'll find that. Mutual UFO Network, an American-based society which investigates cases of alleged UFO sightings and is one of our sponsors, is looking into the mystery. Now, the biggest question this poses, and of course there are many, is why, of all the colours available, they choose purple. You know, hang on a second, the 1970s are calling, they want their UFO back. Did you know that in Britain, the best-selling car colour of the 1970s was purple? And my first car that I learned to drive in was a 1974 Mark I Ford Escort, and it was bright purple. Ford Escort had a Mark I? Yes, but that's a British version of the car. It's not like the Ford Escort you have over here. If you look that up online, it's completely different to your Ford Escort. It looks different. You're trying to say it was cooler? It was a fabulous car. It won many rallies throughout Europe and was an amazing car of the 70s. It was probably the best-selling car of that era, I would suggest. I I have nothing bad to say about the Ford Escort Mark I. They did a souped-up version called Mexico. A Mark II? Strange you should say that, but they did make a Mark II, a Mark III. I think it went up to Mark IV. 
fire. I had a Mark V Escort. It caught fire on the M25 once. I had to pull over to the hard shoulder, if you remember. It was an alternator cable on the exhaust manifold. But it's a very long story. But I think they're one of Ford's best-selling cars in Britain. But I have nothing said bad about the Mark I Ford Escort. But it was, in fact, purple. So you have the technology to travel vast distances between the gaps between galaxies and universes. And of all the colours to paint your UFO, you paint it purple. That just seems remarkable to me. There must be a reason mm. that UFO's purple. There must be a scientific reason that craft is purple. And for the life of me, I've absolutely no idea what it is. They watch too much Barney. Well, I was wondering if inside there was a giant purple people eater. So that's a possibility. They should write a song about that, as bizarre as that may sound. That that's brings to terrible. a conclusion our round of the UFOs and cryptozoology. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with the live paranormal news of the strange and the bizarre after these short messages from our sponsors. The Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group meets bi-monthly to discuss all things paranormal. The group's primary focus is on the topic of UFOs, but they also delve into alien abductions, cryptozoology, Bigfoot, purple aircraft, crop circles, blennies in tins of tuna and ghosts. Come with an open mind and be prepared to discover the who, what, when, where, why and how of these phenomena. Meetings are from 7 to 9pm Central Time in the Banquet Room of the American Legion Club in Waite Park, Minnesota. For more information, visit their website, lapig.org. And they also have a fabulous Facebook site. If you type in a search on Facebook for the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group, they have a fabulous site on Facebook that posts all of the week's news of UFOs and cryptozoology. For people who believe that standing in a cold, dark basement in the middle of the night for hours and end is perfectly normal. The Minnesota chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, meets the second Saturday of every month at the New Brighton Community Centre, New Brighton, Minnesota. Although there won't be anyone there this time because they're all in Lima and Peru looking for purple UFOs. Meetings are from 2 to 5pm Central and include investigation reports, open mic, book reviews, videos and guest speakers. Anyone with an interest in UFOs is of course welcome to attend. For anyone who's experienced a UFO sighting or knows someone who has... This is the place to be. Meeting agendas, driving directions and tons of UFO information can be found at mnmufon.org. If you wish to be one of the show's sponsors and hear your business or product advertised by the dulcet tones of an eccentric Englishman live on air, going out to the nation and beyond, please contact the show because I would love to hear from you. In the lyrics and the words of the reggae legend that is Johnny Nash, there are indeed more questions than answers. And the more I find out, the less I know, which means I'm probably less intelligent than when the show started. I am your host, Adrian Lee, famous for being banned in Lithuania and for the annoying inability to say abominable snowman live on air welcome back for the second part of tonight's show if you've just joined us then where have you been and what could have been more important if you have stayed with me then let me raise your spirits further by saying we still have 50 percent of the show still to go and in my opinion the best 50 percent so hurrah and a happy dance all around the studio let's open a tin of tuna Remember, you can contact the show at any time via our Facebook site, More Questions Than Answers with Adrian Lee, where all of tonight's stories and much, much more can be found in glorious detail and technicolour for your perusal, including all of the photographs and videos that accompany our stories. You can also write to me and send me your stories at mqta at rocketmail.com. And my Twitter account is Adrian underscore Lee underscore tips and we currently have over 40,000 followers on there at the moment so get on there and make sure you make that 4,000 40,001 I've now been handed a fresh cup of tea and the promise of cookies I have fresh flashlight batteries and my mother has now thankfully stopped snoring from the room next door so onward we march into the round that is the strange and the bizarre the stories of the week that can't be put anywhere into the show other than the round of the strange and the bizarre but are too good not to read out live on air so heather what have you got for me in the round of the strange and the bizarre you are currently on three points kim has four i have six and greg is on one well i contemplated doing this story in the ufos and cryptozoology but seeing it has nothing to do with ufos and cryptozoology you thought you put it in strange and bizarre it might okay insurance firm now covers death by dialect death by dialect yes do people know what dialects are in america 
No, perhaps you should tell them. Um, there's a very famous BBC science fiction series called Doctor Who that's been running since 1963. I think it's the longest running sci-fi show in the history of television. The first episode ever was on the day that Kennedy was assassinated there back in November 63. And a Dalek is his arch enemy. It looks like a pepper pot. And it says exterminate. So if you go online, I can't believe there's anyone in America who doesn't know what they are. (laughs) Especially if you listen to this show because you're well-educated, well-informed individuals, obviously. There you go. Virgin Money is offering a variety of bizarre insurance policies covering a range of unlikely scenarios. In an effort to highlight the importance of life insurance, the financial giant has announced a series of unconventional policies to cover things that are extremely unlikely to actually happen. Some like of, the Vikings winning the Super Bowl. Oh, <laughs> so, some Controversial. Of the, some of the nonsensical disasters that are now covered include Dalek invasion. Yes, but they're mythical, so that's not going to happen. Getting trampled on by Godzilla. That's mythical, so that's not going to happen. Being fried by the ray gun of an invader from Mars. Mars has no life on it, so that's unlikely. <laughs> you are such a poo-poo. I'm just wondering, this is another way for an insurance company to get money out of people, getting insurance on things that are never, ever going to happen. I'm not done ha- yet. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> being attacked by the Loch Ness Monster. Mythical. That could happen. And even being <laughs> and even being squashed under the foot of a 100-foot tall, stay-puffed marshmallow man. Okay, well, that's more likely to happen. I really... Just don't think about it. Don't don't blank your mind. I don't want. Don't just don't think about it. In life, we spend too much time imagining the things that will never happen," said Virgin Money director Daryl Evans. For example, around thirty million for thirty million lottery tickets are sold in the UK every Saturday to hopeful people, thinking that they might just win. But interestingly, someone has to win. That's right. So the odds of someone winning the lottery are very good because someone has to win. It's one to one almost. Do you see what I'm saying? Statistically, someone has to win the lottery. So those odds, what are the odds? You're frying my brain. Don't do that. You've only got a small walnut. I know. (laughs) The odds are, in fact, higher that they could meet an unfortunate end on the way uh, to buying a ticket than they are to win the actual jackpot. Yes, you've got more chance of being hit by a meteor going to buy a ticket than winning the lottery. That's what they're saying. Yeah. So here's just a couple of other items that they will be covering in case you should want to buy this policy. Other items on the list include being cursed by Lord Voldemort. Mythical. I told you I'd be bringing (laughs) up Harry Potter this week. Uh, Being killed uh, in a Decepticon attack. What's a Decepticon? Anybody? Anybody? Or is it just me? I've I've watched a lot of TV. Aren't Decepticons off of like Star Trek or something? Transformers. I've no oh. idea. Yes, that could be right. I've no idea. You've lost me. Okay, that's the keep geek going. in me. Thank yes. you. And being swallowed up by a giant shark that has been deposited by a tornado. Yes, that's a fabulous film, isn't it? Shark Sharknado. They they've got the cheek. To, <laughs> they've got others, and they Sharknado two was you know when you're on two and three of Sharknado, you know you're in for a rough ride. Yeah, well, they did. No, I'm not going to say no, it. No, we want to stay on air. We do. I was just going to say Fast and Furious. We're on what? now yeah like rocky 28 yeah he's, like an old man with no teeth. <laughs> he's having to battle getting out of bed and not to wet himself now i know how it works are you done that was it that yeah. was it i should See, give you I told points you it could have fit in not really no because it was all mythical <laughs> so i'm glad you put it into the strange and the bizarre you picked the right category trust did me did i you did you're did I now get points for that too five i'll give you two points all and right, you are now whatever. on five i have a story in the strange and the bizarre that says watch terrifying moment Lion opens car door with its teeth. A safari safari passengers scream. This is just a joy. Tourists on safari dream of seeing majestic wild beasts right in front of their eyes. But this family were given a fright when a huge lion got a bit too close. The car passengers in the footage can be heard screaming in terror as the beast prize opened the door of the vehicle with its teeth. It happened when they approached a pride of lions on safari in South Africa. A lot happens in South Africa. I'm thinking this is becoming the new Florida, you know. As one of the lions wanders over to the car, the family can be heard taking pictures of the enormous beast and laughing as it pushes its face against the window. But the family's laughter soon turned to screams of terror, when just seconds later the lion manages to prise open the unlocked door with its teeth. And if you look really carefully, you can actually see that it's got a coat hanger. 
thankfully one quick <laughs> one quick thinking family member grabs hold of the door and slams it shut before looking it from the inside a female voice can be heard saying oh my gosh i didn't know they could do that when a lion sees a car of people going past is that their equivalent to a can of sardines You've just got to undo it and then get in there. Do you see what I'm saying? Is that their equivalent of a tin of tuna with a strange purple-headed frog in it? Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? The interesting thing is I think the lions wanted to get into the car because they had a bank robbery planned. So I like the idea of lions running into a bank with a load of guns and there's a car waiting outside of a very scared family that were on safari in a car and are now being used in a bank robbery and they're getaway drivers for a gang of hoodlum recidivist What lions. are you smoking? Uh, nothing at the moment, but the night is still young. I like the idea that lions get a four by four and go traversing through the savannah, the Serengeti plains, looking for wildebeests. I think that's great. This one's got a cigarette, another one's got a gun. They're chasing wildebeests. See how technology is. I've seen that cartoon before. Well, what if the wildebeests and the zebras then had cars as well? They'd I've be seen madness. that cartoon too. So you've seen a cartoon where a zebra is in a car being chased by four lions in a 4 by 4 across the Serengeti Plains. Was that Lion King? I think it was, yes. <laughs> there are points to be had all around, which is fabulous. I like the idea that the lions are sat there playing music and their stereos on, going, dum, 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 and they're smoking cigarettes and drinking beer, and then one points and says, look at that wildebeest over there, he's limping, let's go after him. And I- they have zebra print uh, seat covers. There you go. That would be sick, of course. But yes, that would be fabulous. She, I like this She idea. brings up the sick stuff. I know, Kim's <laughs> been really, me. You've been really dark over the last couple of episodes, Kim. I don't know what's going on in your life. She's sat there wearing black now. and She looks like she's just come gothic. She's got ashy smid all over her face. She's dyed her hair black. She's got big black eyeliner. You never used to look like that. You used to be a really nice, well-dressed grandmother. Well, she now. did start doing the show. That converts <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah, she's becoming dark through osmosis because she's right. sitting next to you. <gasps> Fabulous. That brings us to the end of the round. That is strange and bizarre. Our final round, of course, is not for your mother. This is the round where you have to shepherd your mother out of the room or your auntie. People that are easily offended. Minors. This is the round, of course, that is laden with innuendo, sexual talk and things that are very bizarre and strange that can't go in the round of the bizarre and strange because they're too rude, to be perfectly honest. This is the round that will get us taken off the air. So, Heather, where would you like to start in the round? And you have been warned, listeners, in the round of Not For Your Mother. Man falls asleep next to one night stand woman. And then he wakes up a eunuch. Oh, she took more than his watch then. Yes. Watch wallet and testicles. Yes, we've had a story about a watch disappearing at one time. Yes, we did. Yes, the woman was a nurse, I believe. And she put a Rolex in a place where a Rolex wax. She wasn't a nurse. She was a masseuse. Oh, a masseuse. Well, there's a fine line, isn't there? There you go. (laughs) What? Making some extra money. (laughs) No wonder you go to the doctor every week. Nurse, nurse. (laughs) You could just get rid of that stiffness. That'll be great. Oh. I did warn you this round would be like that. You can't (laughs) say I haven't warned you. Dmitry Nikolov. Who? Nikolov. He's Russian then. Yes. Okay. Uh, must feel like he has seen it all. At 30 years old, he's been a soap opera star, a cartoon animator, and now it seems a eunuch. Took my bollocks off. What's his name? No. Dmitry took, Nikolov. Took my bollocks off. No. 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 See what I'm going with it? No. No. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Russia Life News reported that Nikolov... Uh, had just finished a performance at a small theater in Moscow when he was approached by a beautiful woman after the show. The young lady, whom Nikolov described as a young, attractive blonde, flirted with him. If that's Russia, she must have been a tourist. Oh, Adrian. <laughs> and, then invited, and then invited him to a nearby sauna. She had her mother's beard. <laughs> where they drank beer, made out, and soaked in the hot tub. The next thing Nikolov remembers was he awoke at a bus stop in excruciating pain clutching his groin he noticed his trousers had a lot of blood on them and quickly called an ambulance he was rushed to a local hospital and moved to the intensive care unit where it was discovered that both of his testicles had been removed is there a market for these then they must have been removed for a reason i don't know According to the police, the removal of the man's testicles was done like a proper surgery by someone with a medical education. There you go. We have another ripper on our hands. Yes, but this time he took testicles. Yes. The interesting thing is that you can put weights in there to readdress the balance. So you can get lead balls that fit in there just so he can have some sort of symmetry. It's true. 
I know, they make them for dogs. Yes, but you can't go through airport security, is what I'm saying, because it sets the alarms off. In fact, Why do you know this? I'm just saying, he can't go through airport security, and uh, as far as I'm aware, his wife dies of lead poisoning in three years' time. This is where we're going. <laughs> You're terrible. It's not a case of putting lead in your pencil, it's lead in your pencil case, is where we are. Adrian. Just saying. No. Yes. <laughs> Police say uh, they do not know what the woman's motive was, but surmise it may be a prelude to the black market sale. For what reason? I'm not sure. You can't use testicles once they've been removed. They can't stitch them into someone else. It could be, I don't know, organic Rocky Mountain oysters. Sweetmeats. They're something. used in a spell, witchcraft, something like that. I don't know. It is believed that the woman spiked Nikolov's beer and but they're not sure what it was spiked with according to reports the young actor was too afraid to tell his wife what really happened i told you and instead claimed he lost his manhood due to a serious illness due to three lions driving around so have you ever went out for one night and your balls fell off not well he's that cold in this state (laughs) i I can i can (laughs) sympathize with him it was an illness it was a quick one too it was three lions in a four by four that suddenly sneaked up on him that's what happened that's terrible so if you're uh, accosted by a good-looking russian woman and uh, offered beer my advice would be to leave that well alone kim what have you got for me tonight in the round of not for your mother a story that is definitely in the category of not for your mother i'm pleased to hear that (laughs) Hand angels are giving the disabled hand jobs for charity. Hand angels. Yes. Okay. For patients with severe disabilities, like those brought about by disorders such as muscular dystrophy, life can be a struggle. And I'm not just talking about sex lives. I'm talking about the trials and tribulations of the day-to-day. For most care providers, the focus is on the bare necessities for survival, while other experiences deemed non-essential fall by the wayside. The sad truth is that from a cultural standpoint... The sexual nature and needs of the handicapped are all but written off. But one charity organization is looking to change all of that. It's a charity organization. Yes. So it isn't prostitution. It's a proper charity. Yes. That are giving hand jobs to the disabled. Yes. Wow. NGO Hand Angels believes that the differently able should be able to experience sexual gratification and deserve to enjoy this fundamental part of the human experience. They have currently amassed a team of 10 volunteers from all walks of life to assist in providing their clients with the downstairs high five and have explicit... (laughs) Great, give me a downstairs high five. I knew I wouldn't get past that (laughs) sentence. (laughs) And have explicit rules about what they will and will not do. Andy, a sheltered gay man living with muscular dystrophy in Taiwan, has struggled with the desire to make deeper connections with would-be romantic partners. You're not making connections. They're coming in, giving you a hand shandy and buggering off again. It's hardly like you're having deep email connections, is it? After a thorough screening by hand angels, Andy's (laughs) angel caressed him before performing the hand job. Andy described the experience of intimacy as being so intense that for a minute he believed he was in love. There you go. He knew it was only temporary, of course, but the experience provided him with an emotional connection he'd never felt before. And the guy only came round to read the meter. The angel turned up ten minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) On later reflection, Andy summarized his experience by saying, I didn't feel I was the target of pity. The whole process was full of respect and equality. This might be deemed as controversial by society, but as long as you're willing to look into it, what we desire is no different from others. Just ask yourself, do you need to consult your parents before having sex? Depends if you're doing it in their house or not, I guess. (laughs) Later, Vice reported that Andy was transformed by the experience. Once awkward and introverted, he even became actively involved in rallying against the harsh criticism the organization is and has been receiving considering the nature of their work. While still highly controversial, the mere existence of hand angels has ignited an important dialogue about the sexual rights of the disabled that is woefully overdue. So, Kim, that was a hands-on charity then, huh? Yes. What I want to say is they're called hand angels, right? Yes. Now, angels, correct me if I'm wrong even though they're androgynous in the Bible, are actually masculine. Because every angel is a man. They've got, given, they've got male names. Raphael, Gabriel. Michael. Colin. There's, there's a whole, you know, Gavin the angel. He's a very rare one. They've all got masculine names. Some of them have got beards. They're described as being men, for instance, when they get mistaken. I don't think they mean in the biblical sense. But what I'm saying is that angels are masculine. 
So but yeah, we portray them in all of our cards and things like that as women with white gowns and right. wings and but the, the, we do do that. We do do that. I did say do do. Do do. Do do, which is the, the word insect in Swahili, by the way, if anyone's interested. A do do is an insect in Swahili. But they are they are masculine. They, in the Bible, they're all masculine. For a paternal text that was written by a man for men a couple of thousand years ago, the most important job in that Bible is delivering God's message to man. So they'd never give that job to a woman. It would have to be given to a man because it's a very important job. And at that time, it wasn't perceived that a job well, like a that... Well, a man did do that job. That's yes. right. So it's called hand angels, but it's men giving hand jobs to other men. Is that what I'm getting from that? But then, The one example they gave was that, yes. Fabulous. So it would be an angel then. Well, what if the man shaved his hand and put like nail varnish on? Do you think at the end of it he got his hand and he had like a cigarette? And anyway, there's too much, That's too terrible. much to think too. about. Well, I'm going to go to a story now in Not For Your Mother called How I Developed a Male Organ, Says Female Prostitute. Do you think this is covered in our story? <laughs> Brenda, Brenda Kadir, a retired prostitute, has claimed that she developed a male organ on her private parts. Where, where do you guess she was working? Have a guess. There's points going begging. Music shop. She was working in a music shop. <laughs> I was thinking of a country... Florida. Greg has got points. She's in South Africa. Did you say that because the word organ was mentioned? Yes, I did. Okay. Kadir said she had been a prostitute locally for three years until she decided to seek greener pastures in South Africa in the same trade. While in South Africa, she came across a man who was much younger than herself and the pair moved in together. She was happy as she managed to settle down, but she claimed the devil attacked her relationship by causing a male organ to develop on her private parts. She suffered a lot of pain as the organ grew in size to the point she could not walk and had to be ferried to the hospital in an ambulance. How big does that need to be that she can't walk? I mean, that's got to be swinging at that point, isn't it? Upon arrival, there were doctors and they were confused as they did not know how to handle her problem, with a pair of gloves, I would suggest, and offered to do an experimental operation which was initially successful. Two weeks before her husband came back, the problem hit her again as the male organ returned. And as if by magic, a penis appeared. They sought medical intervention, but they got no solution. She then sought the help from Prophet Magaya, who prayed and gave her anointing oil. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? Where? But alas, well, apparently it was in her house. (laughs) But alas, it did not work as the organ continued to grow. So I guess some sort of organ grinder is then required. What a fabulous round. I'm thinking she's crossed with an octopus. I'm they, sorry. What, she's really what? angry with because it. Because theirs grow back. Octopus penises grow yes. back. What on earth have you been watching, Kim? They do. Look it up. When she said she was crossed with an octopus, I imagined her shaking her fist and saying, damn you, octopus, you've taken my car and scratched it. <laughs> Octopuses do that. They take the car without asking. It'd be fabulous, wouldn't it, to drive a car if you're an octopus because you can have one hand on the gear stick, one hand on a blinker. You've got three hands on the wheel. You've got one hand. Octopuses don't have hands, do they? Um, one tentacle on the stereo. Why do you keep reaching towards Greg? Because I, I was thinking of one tentacle. <laughs> what? <laughs> <He> just... <laughs> what? <sighs> have you Points. seen the way? Have you seen the way octopuses have intercourse? Carefully, yes. It's just an amalgamation of legs and tentacles, isn't it? Yeah, but did you see where? In the sea. <laughs> what? Where? In where? the head. Really, they have sex in the head. Yeah. To two octopuses. You're making all this up. No, I'm not. Look it up. Look it up. Every every solution to everything we come up with. Did you look up the stuff from last show? Yeah. Did you take the time this week to do that? I've I've had a very busy week of philanthropy, readings and healing. So, no, I haven't had the opportunity in the vast amount of time. (laughs) Are we going to be able to count on that next time, then? Gifted to me in the intervening (laughs) days. I like the way women change the conversation. They move the goalposts. You know, you have an argument with them and suddenly 10 minutes later when you've proved your point, you find yourself arguing about something else. It's very strange. You we'll can never, remember. Never, you're, you're a Scorpio. Of course you're going to remember. You've got a memory like a bloody elephant. You remember stuff from the first show we did. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. This is where we are. I can barely remember our last show. There you go. I've seen that. <laughs> That's uh, that's because your brain cells are dying and you're getting older, of course. We do have 
final scores and all good things must come to an end. So let us look at the scores. In last place, the K2 meter with the dead batteries, Craig. He's on a resplendent but very lonely little duck, number two. In second place is Heather on five points, but tying for the lead, both on seven points each. And fighting for the $33,000 IR camera is Kim and myself on seven points. So I'm going to ask a tiebreak question, and whoever gets it right wins. How does that work? <laughs> this is not rigged. <laughs> no, this is completely Kim, if legitimate. Me, if you can tell me the two colors that go together to make purple, you will win tonight's show. Red and blue. Ah, Kim is our winner. She will take home the $33,000 IR camera. And we must give thanks to your art teacher, who is called <laughs> Mr. I don't remember. No idea. Kim has no idea who her art teacher <laughs> was. So if you, if you taught art to Kim in Mountain Lake, Wyndham? Wyndham. Wyndham. Back in the day, in Wyndham High School. Yes. If you taught Kim Anderson art, do write in and let us know your name. <laughs> because she got the question right, but she can't actually remember. LeCan. You are. Oh, Mr. Lacan. Mr. Lacan, if you're listening, you're a very talented art teacher, and Kim has remembered the two primary colours that make the secondary colour purple. For extra points, what's the opposite colour of purple? Brown. Yellow. <laughs> I have no yeah, idea. I should have, we should have settled on our laurels, shouldn't we? Do not fear, listener. Remember, we are back with a whole new bunch of stories to do with colour theory next week at the same time. And I would love for you to join us in a fun and informative journey through the world of tins of tuna, the colour purple, strange, intriguing, bizarre and just plain weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me anytime via my Facebook site. More questions and answers with Adrian Lee. Or you can email me at mqta of rocketmail.com and I would be very grateful if on your Facebook site you can cut and paste the links to our show that would be a fabulous thing for you to do for us you can also join me and follow my Twitter account at Adrian underscore Lee underscore tips where you will see where I'm signing books and traveling around the country giving lectures and doing psychic readings my gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter Heather Morris Jeton Drainer Kim and Greg Gore and all at the International Paranormal Society int paranormal.net and all of the show's sponsors including the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group and MUFON of Minnesota it just remains for me to say thank you for listening and remember be interested and interesting. Good night.